You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I think it was maybe back in March... No, maybe before that, February, March timeframe, we had Kevin Coleman on the show. It was a great episode, obviously very well prepared. He's very well prepared now because he's been working on so many different things in FEMA. If you recall from our last episode, he and I served on the national team together. He went over to FEMA headquarters. He's He was working on that vaccination mission. He's still, he's going to give us an update on that. He's also going to be talking more about qualifications of emergency managers, specifically within FEMA, but you can apply that to your own uh, s- sphere of influence, right? And so if you're at a local emergency manager, state or federal, there's things that are going to help you going to be more qualified and you can add to your career. So Kevin can talk more about that. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Glad to be back. Hey, so uh, let's give an update real quick. Vaccination mission. Are you still involved with the vaccination mission? Is that like now wrapping up? It's, it's kind of weird because we're still in the pandemic and we have to worry about the Delta variant. But Things are all opening back up. Nobody wants to like want to focus on COVID anymore. So what does that look like in your world? Sure. Um, so back in probably January, February, um, I was supporting the vaccination efforts, uh, the vaccination campaign um, after Biden was inaugurated. Uh, since he, he tapped FEMA to uh, deliver 100 million shots first 100 days. Um, so it was part of that, part of that effort uh, right out of the gate and, um, served uh, out of the NRCC at headquarters and my role is to make sure that we were getting the, the non-medical folks to those federal vaccination sites. Mm. Um, it was, uh, it was a very interesting experience for me because it wasn't just FEMA staff that we were deploying. It was, you know, we worked with a bunch of different agencies to, uh, to fill those, those non-clinical roles. Um, mm. so it was just, just an interesting, uh, experience. Definitely a mixed bag of, uh, of experiences and competencies probably in that, in that team. Um, that was like the most emergency management, like life ever, right? When you have everybody coming in, you're like, okay, what do you do? And who, what, what qualifications do you have? 
Um, it, so we've had Joe Delamura on the show a couple times, and he does more of the logistics side of like vaccination sites. Were you coordinating with him at all, or were you completely in different wheelhouses? Sure. Um, so we we sort of had two two wheelhouses. It was clinical and non clinical. Um, so our my piece of the puzzle is the non clinical piece. So um, in order to stand up a federal federally supported vaccination site, um, depending on the size, it required X number of medical folks doing you know these different things, and it required Y number of non medical folks um, doing you know these different things. So we sort of both had to align our efforts in filling those needs um, on the same timetable. So, you know, we're not deploying people to a site where, you know, he hasn't found medical folks or vice versa yet. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a big uh, coordinated uh, song and dance to make sure that as states are submitting their requests, um, you know, especially at the beginning, we were staffing positions that we were making up, right? I mean, there, there were no federally supported vaccination sites there's no playbook. We wrote the playbook as we were, as we were doing the mission. Mm. Um, so going back to your, your point about um, understanding what, what skills that we needed to fill these undefined positions with, um, was, was, uh, was we, we were learning on the fly. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, so those are the, the, the two tracks, uh, that, that we took and, um, yeah, it was a whole, whole government effort to, to get folks to fill those, fill those slots. You talk about writing the playbook. Uh, Doberman was hired in February to work with a group that was trying to reopen up a sector. And that's like the most like generic I can make it. But what well, we went in there and said, um, you know, what do you have now? I'm like, well, we've been working on a playbook. And I'm like, okay, like, let's see the playbook. And it wasn't really a playbook. It was like a, a basic like definitions like book. It was almost like a guide of like what, what these terms meant. I said, how long have you been working on this? Well, they're like, well, we're almost done. We've been working on it for three months. And I was like, what? I was like, well, what data are you using? Like, we're not using data. And I'm like, um, doot, 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 doot. I'm like, it's literally on your website right now, like this information. And they were like blown away by that. They're like, oh, wait, we didn't know that. I'm like, how do you not know it's on your like public facing website? And, um, I came back, at, you know, I was like, well, let's look at it. And so a week later, we came back and said, okay, you can o reopen your entire sector with these parameters with CDC guidance in three months, three more months. And um, actually, it was that wasn't three months. Sorry, I apologize. It was six weeks. That's right. It was. it was six weeks. You can reopen everything in six weeks with the CDC guidance. This is what you'll have to do that. And they're like, well, that's impossible. And I'm like, it's impossible if you don't know the data or if you don't have a playbook, but here's the plan. And they were going through it in their meeting. They're like, oh, this is possible. This is possible. This is possible. And like, that's what emergency planners like do like for a full-time job. And so like my biggest takeaway for the pandemic was just like, I don't think most people understand like what an emergency planner like can do for them. Did you find that for yourself? Or like, what were some of the major takeaways from the vaccination mission? You're like, okay, if we have a vac vaccination mission again, X, Y, and Z must happen immediately. Like what were your takeaways? Yeah. So for me, it was, it was, uh, it was understanding how to utilize our available workforce in the most efficient way. Um, I, I mean, this is like most or a lot of response situations where we have demand that exceeds our supply. Right. Mm. So decisions have to be done on how we prioritize resource allocation. Um, so, you know, we, we want to make sure that our, our, the capability that our, our, supply pool has matches with 
to, to the best extent possible, mm. um, matches with the need on the ground. So we're not, um, under, under deploying, um, or, or, uh, under utilizing, under optimizing, um, the resources that we have available. Okay. So you said a phrase there that I absolutely loved. You said demands, ex- demand exceeds supply in a response. That is, that is always true. I mean, Rodney would always say, if we get behind the, the snowball, we're never going to get in front of it again, right? And so, like, I remember him banging his, his hands on his head because he was so frustrated in, uh, in, um, in Florida. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then, like, I, I, I kind of figured out, like, where he was coming from. And you talk about response. Response and emergency management has, this is, like, my very smooth segue, by the way, uh, re- response has a, as a key placeholder in emergency management. It's not to like degrade mitigation or it's not to degrade preparedness. It's not to degrade all these other things that must happen, but response does have a place. And so I'm trying to hope, I'm hoping that you can come on here and talk about qualification and what response does. And then if people don't have response experiences that they're able to attach to, what can they do to bolster their own career or their own capability? Can you talk to us for, for a few minutes about that? Yeah. So for me, when I, when I, when I hear that and I look at it, first of all, I think you can strip away response recovery mitigation. Like if you strip away those terms, you know, you're presented a problem to solve within a, um, within some parameters. Right. And, and you do it and that those parameters are different depending on the life cycle of the disaster that you're operating in. Um, so you're, you're going to be resource constrained. You're going to be time constrained. Um, all those things that inherently go with the response operation. Mm. Um, so for me, it's sort of, the, it's the same approach, right? Um, again, some of it though, you're making decisions in, in minutes and hours, uh, they're going to have direct impacts on life safety. Uh, whereas in recovery mitigation, you know, you might be spending weeks or months to do analysis and make decisions that are going to have, uh, you know, maybe cost impact or uh, infrastructure impact over the course of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's sort of just a different mindset, a different, uh, similar approach, but different mindset and how to uh, apply those different capabilities. So that takes different capabilities, right? Um, to solve both of the problem sets, but in both situations, you're given a problem set um, and you're asked to solve it. Mm. Um, and let me, uh, can you remind me what that second question was? Yeah. So if, if you don't have that, that, the, the opportunity for response, then what are some of the things? Cause let's actually talk, that's a good way to, to actually bring this up. You are specifically looking at changing or possibly changing how the qualification process is at FEMA. For those who are not in FEMA, can you tell us like how that happens and like the, the pros and cons of that process? Sure. Um, so, I mean, Government change inherently uh, takes a little bit longer uh, than, than other sectors. Um, but so for me, I think varying perspectives um, are, are crucial. Um, so no matter what those different perspectives are, I, I think they're very helpful. So in my current role, I'm supporting FEMA's Workforce Development Division. Um, I'm looking at the FEMA qualification system, which is the system that uh, tracks, monitors, and defines what it means to be qualified um, in different incident management positions within FEMA. So the way that it's structured, uh, I'm sure you know you might remember pieces of this. Uh, oh, I do. Back. I hated it. <laughs> um, but every incident management uh, 
person, so that's the majority of FEMA's workforce, um, has a specific title assigned to them. And with that specific title comes with a, um, um, a position task book, which outlines the requirements that you need to meet in order to be deemed qualified in that position. Um, so, you know, that those requirements might entail uh, tasks you have to complete um, or trainings that you have to complete or maybe certificates that you have to complete. I think GIS, there was some sort of technical certificate. That's right. Um, and then some of the other specialist positions, like, you know, our lawyers and stuff, they need to have those, um, you know, bar, you know, proof of bar completion and those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for, you know, the majority of our positions, again, it's a list of 50, 60, 70, 80 things that you need to demonstrate, um, and then a handful of training classes. And once you demonstrate proficiency of those, you know, we, we, we knight you and deem you qualified in that position. Um, so this is a long like, kind of roundabout, I guess, answer um, to some of your questions already, but uh, I think that there's um, an argument to be made for capability-based um, requirements. I think that's made primarily what our current system does, but um, if, if you're out in the field and, and you request, um, you know, 10 planning specialists, you mean, like, you, you're requesting, when you ask for that, you're expecting a certain skill to show up. You're, you're expecting people to show up to be able to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always taught, uh, again, I don't know if remember this on the IMAP, but if you ask for something, you know, don't ask uh, DOD for a specific helicopter, say, hey, I need you to do something for me. And like, you figure out what that capability is. Um, but I'm, I'm sort of defining, finding, defining the need and you're selecting the right tool um, to get the job done. Uh, so that's kind of the approach I'm taking and how I think through building capability and understanding um, workforce capability. Um, and again, it goes back to the vaccination efforts. Uh, you know, we think of people as having position specific qualifications, but if we can understand the capability so they go into those positions, then maybe we could, um, you know, deploy our people differently um, to better optimally uh, use their skills. Yeah, there's, there's, um, we are going to go back to the original question about like, if you're not in response, how do you get qualified? But, um, uh, yeah, these, these points that you're making, um, I had this problem, maybe it was a pride problem, but I had this problem that I, I, I was brought in from the outside from another federal agency. And the way I looked at it was if I was getting hired in that position, I should be qualified for the position that I'm immediately walking into. And the, the plan to be qualified should be qualified for the next position or for like the next ring up or how to expand it from there. And so like this idea of like you, you go in and at this level, but they give you a book one or two, two levels below. And it's like, you're working through the system and it's like, give me a break. Like, um, you should have been able to demonstrate that you can do the job, especially on a national team. Like national team should have the best people on there. Um, I would argue that one of the best um, options for f- leading FEMA is Deanne Criswell, former IMAT, of course, right? That's like the best. So, um, and, and even to your credit, I mean, look at you, like you, you were on the national IMAT, you did all, all these amazing things and you went over headquarters and you keep on making these really positive waves because of all that experience and, and walking through the process. You've gone through the playbooks, you've gone through the tasks books. I mean, you've gone through that whole process much more than I have. Um, but on the other end, like in terms of like capability and like having people go into new roles, 
it reminds me of my, my economics days. Um, that's what I studied in school. And there's this idea that um, resources are not exactly transferable. If you put, uh, if you if you say A can do A over here, it actually won't won't be as proficient. And so there's there's this uh, capability gap that happens, at, and you have to figure out like how much of a degree you you are losing in skill set as you move people around. And so the idea of like addressing capacity and capability, but what 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 you already have is actually really smart in terms of an economics outlook. Um, so there's there, man, I could go on forever talking about uh, some of those things. I'm a talker. That's why I do podcasting, right? But um, to to go back to the original question, then okay, if you're looking at saying, hey, let me ask for the 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 need, and you figure out the tools, and you're developing training based off of that, or you're developing qualification based off of that. Let's say I'm a local emergency manager, and all I know, this happens so much. All I know is that a local emergency manager, I'm supposed to go get my ICS classes or I want to learn about like, oh my gosh, there's one called flood flight management. And you take that course and you think you're going to learn how to fight floods. And like the, and the entire course, like from an emergency management perspective, but the, then you go to the course and like the entire course is like how to do sandbagging. Like that doesn't teach you anything about the emergency management perspective, right? So how do you balance like what somebody outside of FEMA is going to do and how did, how would you, what advice would you give to them? I guess. Wow. So many questions, like 30 questions. There you go. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's, I think all experiences I will, um, any perspective that you can gain. And again, you know, we as emergency managers, we don't want, bad stuff to happen. We don't want to have to respond, but we want to send the people to respond that have responded before um, or have shown, you know, uh, response capability. Right. Um, and I think there's a whole bunch of avenues that people can take to, to make up that, that gap in response experience. And I think part of it is thinking about response a little bit differently. Um, if you take all the characteristics of a response event and, you know, you break that down, it's high stress, limited resources, all these things um, and apply that, uh, like event management, you know, like if you're planning for a concert or a sporting event or something, you might be operating under similar constraints on a different scale, um, but similar types of thought processes um, and similar types of like decision-making processes. Uh, so I think like that type of experience can, you know, be used to uh, at least think through and like put yourself in um, a mindset of what a greater response could look like. And then I think there's also supplemental experience you can get um, exercises and trainings, reading books, listening to podcasts, uh, talking with people who have that experience, right? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, admit to you, John, that I know, uh, I don't know everything about emergency management. Shocking. Um, but I can almost guarantee you that I know someone who does. Uh, mm. And I think leaning on those networks is, is absolutely crucial. Uh, I would argue that you're probably wrong, actually. I think you know a ton about emergency management. In fact, uh, I'd be highly confident that you could probably step into any role at this point and probably figure it out within a, you know, within a reasonable amount of time because you've been trained to do that and you've, you've shown that. And so, like, to your credit, um, you, you have, you've obtained constantly of new skill sets and new capabilities. And uh, that's, like, really what's most impressive about you is that, you know, you've fulfilled all these major roles now 
It's because you do keep learning. You like, I remember you going through task book after task book after task book or t- skill set. I'm like, man, this guy is like blowing through it, but it shows that it's like helping you out. It's, it's allowing you to gain something. And, um, you know, maybe even going back to your statement of, uh, but I know somebody who does that's again, shows you that you're teachable and that you're, you know, you're able to keep go- growing. Uh, Steven Johnson, who was on the show is world renowned expert in biochemical, uh, counterterrorism operations. He is a true expert. And he says, as soon as an expert tries to stop learning, they're not an expert anymore. And so like, you know, that's why you're an expert because you do keep learning. And um, that's probably the biggest takeaway for our listeners that if you want to come off as somebody who knows what they're talking about, you got to do something about that. You got to keep learning. I had this opportunity every week to learn from an expert and to be like, okay, like see these different perspectives on top of everything else we're doing. And that's a lot of fun too. Right. Um, okay. So like moving forward then, if, if you're applying all these different concepts to emergency management, you're applying the constant learning, the constant growth, looking at, okay, what's, what's the, what's the ask versus what's the tool. And you're looking at, okay, in disasters, you have to open up new different realms. Um, like real talk, like in your perspective, like what do you, what keeps you up at night about emergency management? What do you be like, oh, I wish we did X in our, in our field. What can be applied there? Yeah. So good question. And it, I think it goes back to, my varying um, lenses that I've experienced emergency management through, right? So I've experienced emergency management um, through direct survivor interaction. I've experienced emergency management through response on a national IMAT. Um, I've experienced it on program delivery at headquarters level um, and now on the workforce qualification side. So uh, I, I think at the end of the day, um, I'm a big preparedness person. Um, and uh, I haven't directly worked in preparedness with, you know, th- that, that P word in the title of, of my job, but I think everything that we do in the field um, can help educate or um, raise awareness to uh, preparedness because the more prepared we are, the less need there is for response um, and the more lives and um, property that we can save in the future. Um, so I think it's, it's, uh, a culture preparedness, I think, um, would be, would, would be ideal. Um, I think it would be a culture shift because it's, it's preparedness is hard, right? It's hard politically and financially. Um, but after the fact, and I think, I mean, what better time than now, right? Coming off of a, a pandemic where every single person has been impacted, um, to, to, to preach, talk about and, uh, focus on preparedness. Yeah, that's um, that's like me talking about mitigation the same way. Like, the more you can mitigate, the more you you have prepared. I don't like the idea of preparing. Like when we say the five mission areas of preparedness, I don't prepare to respond. I actually respond at one point. I actually recover. So, in terms of like the past tense, the more you can have prepared, the more that 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 process is complete. The the sta- the staging is complete. The resources are in place. Um, yeah, hundred percent agree. I call that readiness. The more, the more ready you are, the, the least, the more likely you're, you're not going to have to have a catastrophic response, um, scenario. And I, a hundred percent on board and it is hard to, to change that culture. One thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is 
um, I get, I get not advice. I get questions from people of like, well, how do I actually implement what FEMA is doing? And sometimes my response is stop. Like a lot of people look at an IEP, an incident action plan. I'm like, how do I do an incident action plan for my campus? Well, you probably wouldn't do an incident action plan. And I walk through like, like it's a legal document between FEMA and the state and like what that implies and for a campus. So I ha I've been working on this train of thought and just follow me. You can, you can correct me cause you're the man. But, uh, I think most emergency managers outside of FEMA are on boats in the ocean and they look at FEMA as driving on land and they're like, how do I put wheels on my boat? And when they put wheels on their boat, like trying to do an instant action plan, when really they should do an emergency operations plan, which is different, um, or they do an occupant emergency plan, which is definitely not not that, um, they, they, they get into this spot, this spot where they're spending a lot of time and resources have like how to figure out put, how to put wheels on their boats. And then what happens is the leadership who is not involved in emergency management for their campus, the, the deans, the you know, the university directors, the CEOs look at that and like, why are we spending all this money putting this thing there? And like, oh, it's super important. Well, well, no, it's not to us. Well, FEMA's doing it. They have their wheels, but they have a car. You know, their, their, their mission is different. And so, like, I think there just needs to be a cultural shift as well of, like, understanding what the mission of each group does. FEMA's mission of emergency management is very different than uh, you know, uh, somebody who works in a sky rise, their mission is going to be much more cyber and physical security related. And just to like to understand the differences of that is, um, something I've been trying to work through. What, what do you think about that? It's kind of a loaded yeah, question. No, I, <laughs> no, I, so I think I agree with some and I, I, I'll, I'll argue on you on some others. So I think that to me, like the concepts are the same, right? Um, like we all want the same thing at the end of the day, it's it, life safety, property, property preservation, um, all that good stuff, right? We want the lights to come on. We want stuff to work. Um, and to me, and I know, I know you said it in past shows, emergency management has a lot to do with, you know, it's emergency coordinating, right? So it's coordinating efforts. Um, and it's problem solving. I mean, that's what we do. We coordinate, we problem solve as emergency managers at any level. Um, mm. and, I think you apply those concepts differently depending on the situation you're in. Um, you know, I'm going to coordinate with different people. If I'm, you know, responding to the BP oil spill that I, you know, then I'm going to coordinate with, um, to, to some other event. Um, but, and you might use a different planning tool. Um, but I'm also a big, uh, process over product person. Um, so I, I think that the process of getting there is incredibly important and the process drives the product. So by following a CD process, the process can be tailored. It can be a little bit different. That's okay. Mm. Um, but, but by going through a process that's designed to, um, you know, develop common objectives and understand what resources you have and um, assign them to meet those objectives uh, in some capacity is, is important. Yeah. I like that answer a lot. Basically what you're saying is um, it, it take what's applicable and apply it to you. My fear is that, people try to replicate and to your credit of what you're just saying is like, Hey, remember the need versus the tool. The need is the same. Um, 
you know, saving life, property, and continuity of operations, the tools are very different. Um, and I hope that, you know, as people think about, okay, how do I take, take the tool, um, you know, or what tools can apply to me? So, some things uh, are going to be applicable from the FEMA training and some things you should probably look into the private sector for. Um, that CEO, I, you know, oh my gosh, it's like, it's, it's a burden to bear for, especially the private sector, but I think even in the federal agencies, like I saw that a little bit too, of like there's, there's, a, there's a cost problem. Hey, you want to add what level of phys- physical security to our federal agency? This is directly related to my my uh, my experience in in uh, DC. Like, yeah, we wanted to add X Y Z. Like, how much does that cost? What's the benefit? And so, like, um, we always talk about like the benefit of saving lives, but we have to realize that we work with people who don't really get it sometimes. Like, their their objectives are different, and to to understand that, and so like, um. I don't know. It's it's something I haven't like fully formed yet, but it's just like come, I'm just keep walking through like this idea of, um, like trying to figure out the right tool for the right audience um, because people keep asking. Um, I'm gonna go back one question. A question that I had came came up in my mind was related to you, and um, I want to see if we think the same way here. Is um, following leadership and emergency management. If you know the leader doesn't have any response experience. Does that um, not affect, but does that weigh on your mind a little bit of like wanting to follow them? Uh, no, I don't think that weighs on my mind wanting to follow them. If I trust them and I know that they trust me, then I, I think we're good. Mm. Uh, but I think that goes back to, you know, my, my comment earlier on you, if you don't know everything, make sure you know the people that do know the things that you don't know. Um, so if it's the kind of leader that's willing to say like, Hey, help me out, John. Like, you, you know, you're an expert in what you do. Like, I know I'm the, the leader on paper, but I'm 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 following you in this uh, in this mm-hmm. scenario. I need to, you know, show me the way, kind of thing. Yeah, that's the mic drop moment. It's the quote when you say, "Hey, if you can trust your leader and your tr- leader trusts you, then you're probably going to be successful, at least in in some degree." Um, yeah, that's really great. The last the last this is all about like Q and A today. Q and A with Kevin Coleman. Um, working through thoughts of uh, the concepts of emergency management. That's really what it's turned into. Um, that's why I like these free form conversations. It's like what's on the, what's on the, the, uh, the cupboard for the day. But um, everything that you've, that you've acquired, we've talked about acquiring. We've talked about learning different skills from different people. We've talked about, um, I heard a little bit of Rodney in there. Um, of, about process over product. You tell that I actually had Nino DeCosmo on here from L3 Harris, a for-profit company, one of our sponsors. We really like their radios. But I, I asked him that, that, that specific question, and he was like, at the end of the day, like out, the outcome is what drives success in his business. And um, I think an emergency planner gets the idea of if you have a really great process, if you've had already connected with all the stakeholders, then your response is, you know, exponentially better. So it's, it's just different mindsets for sure. But, um, in terms of like everything that you've acquired and then everything you're trying to go for, what do you think it will take? Like the pandemic is so easy to, to like a, a point in time. What do you think it will take for emergency managers to get to the next level of maybe authority and respect in our field uh, across different sectors? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, emergency managers are the people that others go to to solve problems, right? I mean, I, I know I keep saying this, but like emergency managers are problem solvers. 
Um, so, you know, maybe it's, it's uh, educating the public on what emergency management is, um, what it, what it, and what it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, emergency managers are not first responders, um, but emergency managers are or, or could be the people that understand how different things are connected so um, they can bring people to the table to say, hey, did you know that, you know, if you talk to them, then, you know, we can quickly solve this as opposed to both trying to, you know, work in, work in their, their silo lanes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, a, it's an education piece. Yeah, there's a, there's a big, yeah, that, gosh, you just named everything in emergency management. Um, the, the, the biggest problem I found is kind of along the line, the same lines of um, our job is problem solving. I was trying to think of a, yeah, like a coordinator, a problem solver. Um, there's all these different parties, and I, I think the best emergency managers, uh, to your credit, uh, know who those parties are. And if they don't know who those parties are, things suffer as a result. I think emergency managers in, in the future should be hired as the think tank people to go in there and be like, hey, let me figure out how to do your problem set based off of all the different parties who would touch your problem. Like they do that in economics. They do that um, with finance. They do that with all these different sectors. Emergency managers also do it, but in a different, different, very different way. It's because it's all about people and resources, not, not just capability. And so like if those parties actually came together to collaborate on how to like build a program off of that, man, like the skies would be limited in terms of like a chess match with a major hurricane because, you know, demand will always succeed supply. And, and where do you, where do you move the puzzle pieces to be most effective? Gosh, I'm talking a lot. Yeah. Today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, there's a lot of things that are going through my head and uh, it, it, it goes back to qualification and standardization and, you know, what does emergency manager do and what does it mean to be a qualified in a position or a, a qualified emergency manager, right? Mm. Um, and we talked about that, that topic on uh, some of your past shows, shows as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess, you know, you can take it back to the beginning of what 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 is an emergency manager defined? Um, and if they're, you know, problem solver, if they're a coordinator, if they're a leader, um, it's building a program that enables someone to have those skill sets so that, you know, when it hits the fan, someone's ready to be able to respond, uh, regardless if they've had actual, you know, experience or not, they've been trained to, to think a certain way to be creative. And this is where I always contradict myself because I, I never thought of myself as a, as a creative person necessarily. Like I, I like checklists and I like, uh, I like following those things, but I also like, you know, going outside the, um, outside the checklist and uh, outside the process when needed. And I think that's what emergency management is all about. It's, um, yeah, I want my pilot to, to check off every one of those, you know, pre-flight uh, boxes. <laughs> yeah. But emergency manager, you know, we can skip a box and be okay because it doesn't apply to our particular um, situation. And I think that's where the creativity comes in and, and knowing how to be um, a critical thinker uh, because a lot of what we do is, is novel. Mm. Um, if you ask me what the typical disaster is, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Um, maybe a couple of years ago, I would have had a better, better answer. But after some of the, you know, the responses and things that we've dealt with over the past, you know, a few months and years, from vaccinations to, um, you know, Southwest border, uh, border migrant surges to, uh, you know, Surfside building collapse. I mean, you name it, right? Like, 
I would have normally called these things abnormal response events, but it just seems like my, my, my surprise is dwindling um, for, for each new thing that happens or each new thing that emergency managers are, are tasked to do. Um, so again, I think like setting that standard or understanding what it means to be a qualified emergency manager is getting more challenging because, you know, our field seems to be expanding. Expanding rapidly. I would have never thought if somebody told me in January this year that I would be directly helping USAR operations in Miami, I would have been like, that's not my, like, that's not even close to what I do. But then all of a sudden I'm in a USAR training in, in May and the same people I know are at the Surfside building collapse. And, um, you know, now I'm, now I'm working on the, the background trying to help those guys out. And yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we didn't even talk about the Southwest border. We could have talked about that today. Maybe we'll have you back on, but there's, there's just so many things. In fact, you've done that now twice, right? You did it once with all on the IMAT and then now you're doing it again with the headquarters. Did you do, were you with the IMAT when they did it, when they went down? No, no, I just oh, did a, okay. uh, Back in March, I did some things at headquarters. Oh, but okay. not that's awesome. Yeah. So like, it's just, um, the, the world is expanding in terms of our, of our need and perspective. And I think at one point we're going to have to define like what we do and what we don't do. I do hope response is always one of those things. I mean, you never want to have a response, but coordination is never more important. Process is never more important than in the direct life-saving mission. And I, I got to see that you know, in, in this month with a uh, Surfside building collapse and even the equipment that they needed to be able to, to, to kind of help out with that. And, um, yeah, like my, I'm still kind of reeling over it cause it's, it's just heartbreaking to think about. But, um, in any case, uh, Kevin, before I let you go, I, w- I want to ask, uh, one final, the Q and a with Kevin Coleman, right? Um, what are your final thoughts, you know, to the audience, to emergency managers around the country who are listening in right now? What would you want to, what message would you want to share to them? Yeah, I mean, keep learning. Um, I, I think the more the more we can learn and grow as emergency managers, uh, I, I think the better off we're going to be, and the better prepared we're going to be for um, whatever's next. Gosh, another quote. Gosh, we're going to have all these quotes that we're just going to like try to figure out how to put on social media. So, uh, Kevin, thanks again for for coming on, talking about qualification, talking about uh, an update with vaccinations answering all my random questions surrounding the, the concepts of emergency management even. And so thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Sean, for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have you come back on again, I'm sure, in the future. Um, you, you have really good insights. And if you liked listening to Kevin Coleman today and you wanted to ask him a question about the concepts of emergency management or qualification or how you can kind of up your own game, what you can do, you can do it a couple different ways. We would love on social media for people to, to be brave enough I, I do say brave enough now. I've kind of learned my lesson to put your, your question out on social media for people to see, whether it's on LinkedIn, on our Doberman Emergency Management page, or on Instagram with Disaster Tough. You can also send us an email at info at DobermanEMG.com, which we will forward on to, uh, to Kevin there so he can uh, look at that question. But if you, like this, if you like this episode, which you should have, you should give us that five-star rating and subscribe. Tune in next week, and uh, we'll see you then.